Hey guys, before we get started, Cole and I once again are excited to announce that listeners can claim ACPE accredited continuing education for the episode that you're about to listen to. We've partnered with Free CE once again, which is going to allow our listeners to claim one hour of continuing education credit by visiting the link that will be in the show notes. For Free CE members, this service is completely free and it's included in your membership benefits at no additional cost. Simply follow the link above, uh, make the take the post-test after you've listened to the episode, do the evaluation, and you will get credit for continuing education. The password when you pull up the survey is going to be RELIEF, um, and that's R-E-L-I-E-F, all caps, to unlock the post-test and, and uh, the evaluation for this episode. You'll need that password, so make sure you pay attention to that. And then... And if you are not currently a free CE member, we invite you to explore all the different benefits that they have with their unlimited membership um, package on their platform, free CE. Um, they offer hundreds of live webinars, on-demand webcasts, home study monographs, and of course, accredited Core Console RX podcast, which is everybody's favorite. And now they are also offering pharmacy news uh, with CE. Um, simply put, free CE has all of your needs. They got you covered and you'll be able to renew your license without having to worry about it. From now until December 31st, 2021, Core Console RX listeners can receive 15% off the purchase of an unlimited membership by entering the discount code RELIEF, uh, R-E-L-I-E-F, at checkout or by clicking the link that'll also be in the show notes. Thanks. Hope you guys enjoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode, an, an accredited CE episode of Core Console RX Podcast. Cole and I have a guest for this very special occasion, Ms. Anna Grace. How's it going? Hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here. Are you sure? You don't sound glad. <laughs> Anna Grace, don't be nervous. There's not anybody listening. <laughs> Just like three people. But uh, Anna Grace has stuck with me on rotation all month, and uh, she's from USC, so she's my yep. first uh, non-MUSC student <laughs> in, in a minute. So, um, you like in Charleston so far? Yeah, got family here. It's great. Oh, great! Yeah, that. yeah, that definitely helps. USC yeah. is my old stomping grounds. I almost went there for pharmacy school. Don't know if I've ever told this story on the air, but I'll be quick because we have to get to the actual content. Um, but I came down. I was accepted to USC. And then transferred to MUSC because my brother and my other roommate were both coming here. Oh. So that's how I ended up in Charleston. Would have never been on the podcast, so I'd say to USC. Unbelievable. And then your life would have never been the same. There'd be a big empty hole You'd in still my be heart. at the bottom. I'd still be at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my uh, intro into pharmacy school, um, I you know obviously applied to MUSC because I was living here. And then they said, hey, if you don't get in there, would you be willing to go to USC? And I just wrote no. <laughs> in hindsight, that was extremely stupid, <laughs> but it all worked out. So that's, you got that's, in. that's fantastic. So we are going to be talking about migraines today. We're going to go through some of the management as well as some uh, hopefully prevention options as well. Um, before we get started, though, I do got to give a big shout out to today's sponsor, and that is Pearls. P-Y-R-L-S is a drug info app that you absolutely need to check out. Um, Pearls has now over 400 drugs, including the tryptans and CR, or excuse me, CGRP antagonists, which we are going to talk about today. And they have all kinds of great charts. And um, I mean, it's just something I actually utilize quite a bit now, not just because they're a sponsor, but that's why we you know, partner with them because we really do like the app. So you can get a free um, membership and you will have access to all kinds of different charts and pharmacotherapy algorithms and things like that. Um, Just go to www.pearls and that's again, P-Y-R-L-S, like clinical pearls, get it? Um, So pearls.com slash core consult, R-X-C-O-R-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-R-X in case you uh, think we spell it like normal people. Um, so Core Consult Rx, and then it'll you'll see a welcome page. This is Friends of Core Consult. And you, if you sign up with your email, um, you'll get free access. And then you can always upgrade later on if you want to to get you know, unlimited access. But make sure you check it out. It's great. Um, the guy that programs the whole app is uh, PharmD as well. So um, you know, support those that support us. We'd appreciate it. Great. I'm excited about this topic today. I haven't, um, and not only because I work with it, but because there's some new stuff just in the last few months. There is. That we are going to go over. So stick around with to the end. Fine tooth comb. That's called a teaser. <laughs> that is, it's going to the beginning of the YouTube video. <laughs> so, migraine. Um, the 
there was a study called the uh, um, American Migraine um, Prevalence and Prevention Study. Um, basically, some stats from that: um, 17.1% of women in the United States experience one or more migraine headaches per year. Um, 5.6% of men in the United States experience one or more migraine headaches per year. 93% of patients that have a migraine report some headache-related disability. Yeah. Um, 54% of those patients had, were severely disabled during you know, their actual migraine and needed bed rest during an attack. I'm surprised it was only 54% that needed bed rest. Yeah. Because most people do lie down. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. Um, prevalence is highest in both men and women between the ages of 18 and 44. So kind of a big range there. Um, and there's a lot of comorbidities that have, you know, seemed to kind of go hand in hand with migraine, especially as patients kind of, um, you know, get older and whatnot, but you'll see patients in some cases having histories of stroke or epilepsy, um, psych disorders like major depressive disorders, uh, even things like sleep apnea, obesity, um, certain pain disorders. Uh, those are all uh, seem to be like at an increased comorbidity rate um, with patients that are also suffering from migraines. Yeah. Awesome. I love stats. Um, so as far as the patho goes with migraines, over the last few decades, the thinking has kind of changed. So uh, previously, and if you ask most people, if you said, why does a migraine happen? Like what's going on physiologically? They'd probably say it's vasodilation. That's what it's related to. Um, we'll talk about part of why that was presumed for a long time. Um, now it looks like there is more to it than that. Probably vasodilation is only a small portion of what's going on. So really it's related to a complex dysfunctions in neuronal and broad sensory processing. The kind of buzzword these days is the trigeminovascular system that it's affecting, uh, which is like a network of visceral afferent fibers that uh, arise from the trigeminal ganglia. It projects peripherally to supply nerves to the pain-sensitive intracranial extracerebral blood vessels, dura mater, and large venous sinuses. So basically this is an important portion of your brain um, where um, vasoactive peptides are going to cause different things that are going to increase pain processes. So um, it can be activated by peptides like CGRP, which we're going to talk a lot about, um, but also neurokinin A and substance P as well. That's, but, my, that's my favorite excitatory Peptide or neurotransmitter? Substance P. Yeah, just funny word. <laughs> just, it's just like they just like they just gave up. They didn't want to give it a name, but they're <laughs> yeah. like, we really wanted to start with P. But we gotta sit, we gotta explain where uh, what's, what's that cream, capsaicin cream that has to, we have to it depletes something. What are we gonna call it? Just call it substance P. Let's go home. <laughs> That's how it went down. I like it. Um, so the those neuropeptides that Cole just mentioned basically are, are released. Um, they interact with dural blood vessels. That's going to promote vasodilation, which I feel like a lot of times when we think vasodilation, we're thinking that that's kind of a good thing, but not necessarily uh, in this situation. Um, also, some dural plasma extravasation, um, and that can ultimately result in neurogenetic uh, inflammation, um, as well as you know patients can actually start to have like this hyperalgesic state. Um, and it's because you have like this, you know, what would previously be an innocuous stimuli. Um, and you know, it actually maintains the, the pain from the headache. Um, and it's due to this just over um, sensitization of the central, um, sensory neurons from continued afferent input. And, um, Kind of like long-term pain management, the patient just becomes more hypersensitive to pain itself. And that, yeah, that's an important point too, the hyperalgesic state. So, you know, a, a high sensitization to pain that almost can increase over time. I kind of think of it as the kind of like the kindling effect with seizures. It's like the more you have, the more prone you might be to just having increased um, sensitization to pain and it makes it more painful. Um, diagnosing it can actually be kind of difficult. Um, there's various different types of headaches. There might be different uh, etiologies. So th some lab tests to consider if you're working somebody up for it. There's not one test that can diagnose migraines. Um, you may need to get serum chemistries, urine toxicology profiles, thyroid function tests. may even need to check for Lyme disease, right? So um, especially if you're, well, I was going to say especially if you're in that area of the country, but now Lyme disease is pretty ubiquitous across the country. Um, CBCs, anti-nuclear antibody titer, urethrocyte sedimentation rate, um, and antiphospholipid antibody titer, all things uh, to consider while you're kind of working with your diagnosis to determine if this is migraines. 
some other like imaging uh, or diagnostic tests that you know a provider may consider would be things just like a general um, medical or neurological um, physical examination, checking vital signs for uh, fever, or hypertension, um, fundoscopy, uh, looking for possible like hemorrhage or exudates, um, palpation and uh, um, you know the head and neck, and looking for like sinus tenderness or nuchal um, rigidity, uh, cervical spine tenderness, things like that. They could, you know, obviously lead you down a different path other than just um, a migraine. Yep. Uh, and the big, the big test is going to be the neuro exam, right? So um, you might see abnormalities or deficits with their mental status. Um, you're going to check their cranial nerves, deep tendon reflexes, motor strength, their coordination and gait, cerebellar function. Sometimes migraines can present much like a stroke almost with depending on the aura or uh, patients can have weakness on one side and that sort of thing. So it can be very concerning, uh, just depending on how the, the patient presentation is. Um, but you may need to consider, uh, neuroimaging in patients with, uh, abnormal, findings on their neuro exam um, if the etiology is unknown or if they have additional risk factors because it can present um, very um, very concerningly. And once you've kind of pieced that out, you might determine that it's just migraines. So migraines in general, obviously, um, are going to be very painful and can last anywhere from hours to up to days. Um, a lot of times patients will also have you know, nausea and vomiting, um, light sensitivity or sound sensitivity uh, that can make the symptoms or pain worse. Um, and sometimes patients will have like this sort of... Um, you know, preceding a uh, sensory warning symptom, if you will, called an aura. Um, not all patients have this, but that's when we when we talk about, uh, you know, migraines, you usually see that with or without aura. Um, and they also can have, you know, just sort of um, their overall, like we've already talked a lot about pathophys, but, you know, serotonin um, is a really important uh, neurotransmitter that's going to be involved with, um, you know, kind of imbalance that's leading to this these this occurrence of migraines um, as well as CGRP and those are going to be like our two main um, targets that we get to whenever we're kind of looking at therapy options especially our newer agents yep um, so there was a pretty recent early 2021 um, kind of updated consensus statement from the American Headache Society that gives some guidance towards um, diagnosis, which not much of that has changed, but meds, uh, of course, because we have some new um, updated meds that we're going to talk about later on. But just going through some of the diagnostic criteria, because it is, um, uh, there are different types of migraines, depending on how you classify them, and that might point you towards treatment or even not treatment um, with prescription meds, depending. Um, so just a migraine. So we're going to diagnose this person with a migraine and not just regular headaches that most people have, right? So to do that, they need at least five attacks that um, either last for four to 72 hours when untreated or successfully treated. I shouldn't say either. They need to have that plus um, these other two things, which are uh, unilateral location, pulsating quality, moderate or severe pain intensity, aggravation by or causing avoidance of routine physical activity. So those four items, they need at least two of those, plus the headache lasting a long time, four to 72 hours. And then during the headache, it needs to be associated with either nausea or vomiting, um, and then, uh, or photophobia or phonophobia. So that was a lot of items, but those are things that are more specific to migraines that you may not see with a normal headache. You might see pieces of that with a normal headache or a tension-type headache or something like that. Um, but when you can cluster all those together, it's probably a migraine and uh, the pathophysiology is different. And so our treatment is going to be different. Um, and also, if it can't be accounted for by another diagnosis, then that would, um, that would be included as well. Chronic migraines are basically they have to meet all those criteria for having a migraine uh, and then they have to have a certain amount for a certain duration and um, certain treatments that we'll talk about are only approved if a patient has a diagnosis of chronic migraine um, so it can just point your it can direct your treatment depending on if they just have episodic migraine which would be what we we're talking about before or chronic migraine um, so they need migraine like or tension type like headaches on more than 15 days per month for greater than three months. That's the first criteria. Um, and headache days can be kind of confusing because we talked about how a migraine can last from hours to, you know, three days or whatever. Um, so it doesn't mean 15 individual migraine 
attacks. It just means they have a headache, a migraine-like or tension-type headache for more than 15 days per month or more than half the month. So they need that for greater than three months. Um, it also has to happen in a patient um, who's had at least five attacks that meet the migraine criteria. Um, or it can be greater than eight days per month for greater than three months, um, fulfilling other criteria um, being associated with a migraine. And that would be a chronic migraine. They couldn't have made that uh, like a little bit simpler. I know. I, I, got, I got a little bit confused while I was talking about it. But the, the main thing that I think <laughs> is more than 15 days per month, chronic migraine, more than eight days per month with the clear migraine um, symptoms, chronic migraine. Also, you know, American Headache Society, maybe calm down a little bit with your definitions. And part of that with the greater than eight days per month, if it's relieved by um, a migraine medicine, like a triptan or an ergot derivative, that is kind of, that is the, the, another one of the primary things that can say like, yeah, this is a migraine, more than eight days of that chronic migraine. You want to start off with some acute treatment options then? Yeah, let's do it. So we're going to go through these, uh, you know, in some of the different classes and whatnot, but basically we have a lot of different options available to us. You know, we have things that are you know, migraine specific, like triptans, um, ergotamine derivatives. We have something called our newer class called the G-Pants. Um, we have a drug that's kind of a separate class by itself called Lismiditan. Um, then we have our non-specific agents like our anti-inflammatories, our NZs, our aspirin, celecoxib. Um, Declofenac, ibuprofen, naproxen are, are some common ones. Um, Fluorobuprofen. Um, have you ever seen that in person, Cole? No. Is that? Um... It's an just an NSAID, but we got some in uh, in our direct relief thing that we can give to patients. And really? I just was like, we were all standing around the, the nurse's station, like, what is this drug? <laughs> it's got to be an ibuprofen, uh, you know, cousin, but very strange. Interesting. Um, and then there's also like the combination products that are even like over the counter, like the acetaminophen and aspirin and caffeine that you'd see with like Excedrin. Um, and then there's also some things like IV magnesium and some of those types of um, treatment options. But one thing I just want to kind of throw out there with NSAIDs, and I feel like this is something that uh, we've kind of talked about before with osteo and things like that, but just to kind of refresh. When you think about, you know, especially your older patients that may have cardiovascular disease, and that may be why you're using NSAIDs instead of like the triptans that we're going to spend more time talking about. Um, you know, one of the concerns with like our COX-2 selective inhibitors like uh, celecoxib was the potential for an increased risk of cardiovascular events. Because basically, if you think of COX-1 and COX-2 coming down from arachidonic acid, um, when you block COX-2, which is more on the uh, prostacyclin and some of those um, like vasodilatory prostaglandins, um, you are blocking those and you're going to get only the COX-1 um, side of things, which is like thromboxane and some of those more vasoconstrictive properties. So you can um, increase the risk of vasoconstriction and uh, eventually cardiovascular risks in theory anyway over time. And there's been some studies and stuff that have looked at this. And, you know, it's one of those things that the comparative trials haven't really showed much, but then there's some kind of nuances about how they were set up and people kind of debate on with the, you know, the reliability of those. Me personally, just to kind of throw this out there, if I have a person who has cardiovascular disease, I will tend to use naproxen because diclofenac, ibuprofen do seem to be, um, like when you look at meta-analyses and things like that, um, tend to be more um, likely to cause things like an MI, especially diclofenac. Um, and then silicoxib, I stay away from if the person has cardiovascular disease just to be on the safe side. But just want to make sure we at least reiterate that yeah important point um hmm. so i was going to go back and try to clarify the chronic migraine thing but i still can't figure out the whole second portion so my cliff notes are greater than 15 <laughs> days per month chronic migraine there's some other criteria depending on if it has an aura or not that it could be considered chronic migraine and i'll I'll point you towards up to date for that. <laughs> See, Grace, if, the, the important part of this is even during a CE, um, you know, if you just get stumped, just refer out to up to date. <laughs> I want it to be clear and I'm reading it. I'm like, I cannot make this clear. So we'll, we'll focus on the more than 15 days. That's right. Cool. Okay. You, you tried hard. I did. It was good. I did really try. Yeah. Um, so trip dance. So we'll go through some of them individually, but just as a class, uh, what do they act on? So they act on serotonin receptors, um, which is all we used to need to know, but specifically the 1B and 1D um, agonists is what the, the trip dance act on. Um, and we'll talk about uh, lasmididin, which is a little bit different. But um, they activate these receptors in descending brainstem pain-modulating pathways, 
and that inhibits dural nociception. So it's going to kind of help a little bit with the um, the pain perception. And they are effective for acute treatment of migraine. Um, they also promote vasoconstriction, which is um, a lot of what they were kind of most associated with early on. Um, and that it's part of, a big part of the reason why they presumed that migraines were primarily caused by vasodilation because uh, they knew that, well, we give them these tryptans and it constricts the blood vessels and things get better. So um, it probably has to do with the vasodilation. Uh, and also the vasoconstriction is, is part of the reason why they have contraindications in, in certain situations, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, uh, I mentioned before that some of the criteria for a migraine or chronic migraines can be, does it respond to a tryptan? It can be part of um, the criteria, but that can't be the only diagnostic factor because other types of primary and secondary headaches can be relieved by tryptans, um, but frequently migraines are um, specifically. Uh, they um, inhibit transmission in the trigeminal nucleus um, caudalis, which blocks afferent input to second-order neurons. Um, this is important because the effect is probably mediated by reducing the levels of CGRP. Um, so all of these vasoactive peptides play a role even with uh, considering tryptans. So it's not just the vasoconstriction, but that's, that's a lot of what uh, people think about when they think tryptans. If these, if these drug companies were smart, they would just kind of go after and specifically target CGRP. You, know? you think so? That's what I would do. I think that'd be a good idea. Uh, Hang on to your seat because maybe somebody did. What? <laughs> yeah, what? Uh, I should have looked at the PowerPoint slides. <laughs> so, um, sumatriptan, um, have you gone through? You didn't go through I just things, went through okay. the class. So, sumatriptan is one that you probably are um, the most familiar with. It has the most uh, formulations available. Um, it comes as an oral tablet that is available as a 25, 50, and 100 milligram um, tablet dose. And you can do up to 200 milligrams um, in a single day. Um, adverse effects, and this is going to be similar with a lot of the triptans, um, somnolence, nausea. Um, you'll see that they have a nasal spray formulation, um, and that can actually cause some, some throat and neck pressure. Um, hot and cold sensation can also happen. Um, but that's one of the things that patients do enjoy about this particular um, triptan is, is the formulations that are available. So they have like a sub-Q injection, the nasal spray, and both of those are going to have a much faster onset of action than taking an oral tablet. Um, it also is available as a combination product. If you don't like to take over-the-counter medication along with your sumatriptan, you can get it all in one pill called uh, Trexamet, which is sumatriptan and naproxen together. And I'm sure it's still so cheap. Oh, I'm sure. But it is the one that's that combination has actually been the one that's studied the most and um, has the, you know, the most data showing that the combination does relieve symptoms a little bit quicker. You know, I um, an odd side effect that I've not heard um, infrequently for triptans, but Imitrex specifically is like a copper taste in people's mouth, which is interesting. Um, we with have the a tablets too, or just the um, with tablets too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have a few others. Uh, so we have elitriptan, which is Relpax, Rizotriptan, which is Maxalt, Zolmatriptan, which is Zomig, um, and then a few others which we'll go through, but I'll start with those three. So with Relpax, it's 20 to 40 milligrams. You can repeat one in two hours if you need to. Um, and they compared 40 milligrams um, um, to the 100 milligram sumatriptan, um, and they did find a little bit more pain relief with the uh, uh, rel packs versus the 100 milligrams of sumatriptan. Um, it does have a pretty significant interaction with CYP3A4 inhibitors, so it is contraindicated um, with uh, CYP3A4 inhibitors. Maxalt is 5 to 10 milligrams. You can repeat one in two hours if you need to. Um, it also has an MLT disintegrating tablet. Um, can definitely be a good option for patients who experience nausea and vomiting, which is very common. Um, so even these little tablets that they need to get down to abort their migraine, um, which is, is a, a term that they'll use for acute migraine management, um, they can't even keep it down sometimes. And um, so having a, a disintegrating tablet can be helpful. Zomig is another 2.5 and 5 milligrams that you can repeat in two hours. Um, it is also available as a disintegrating tablet and a nasal spray. And this is a ZMT disintegrating tablet, which I'll be honest, I don't know what ZMT stands for. Zoluble. <laughs> I don't know either. If only there's a website that would tell us. <laughs> I'm familiar with the MLT, but I don't know why it's called a ZMT disintegrating tablet. They're trying to be cool. Yeah. So uh, we also have Olmatriptan, our um, excerpt, and uh, that has a 6.25 and 12.5 milligram dose. And if you need a second dose, you can repeat in two hours. 
For ovotriptan, um, which is 2.5 milligrams, same thing, you can repeat in two hours. That one is considered to be like the one of the longer acting um, triptans, but it's got a much slower onset, um, as well as our uh, next entry, and that's nartriptan um, emerge, and that is 1 to 2.5 milligrams. And this one, if you are going to take another dose, you have to wait four hours, according to the package insert. So... All of these, you know, you know, medications in this class, we do have to consider the patient's comorbidities, and if they have, you know, any sort of history of um, hemiplegic migraine or um, ischemic stroke, ischemic heart disease, any sort of like vasospastic angina, uncontrolled hypertension, or if they're pregnant, then we try to to limit the use of triptans in these patients. Um, and you know, you may find situations where it, the benefit may outweigh the risk a little bit, but it's, we always kind of consider those contraindications. Um, there may be some neurologists that kind of override that in certain situations, but we need a lot more data before we can actually say that we should be giving patients with that history um, a trip down. So we tend to try to avoid those if possible. Ideally, for most of those situations other than pregnancy, they would um, be able to take what Mike would hope that somebody would make at some point, which is a direct CGRP inhibitor. Mm -hmm. um, so you can use those... Um, comorbidities uh, in a prior authorization situation to get them approved most of the time, which is good. Uh, tricks of the trade. Tricks of the trade. Um, so there's a lot of trip dance. Which ones should we use? Which ones work the best? What I'll say just from what I've seen um, is that it can be very patient specific, especially for patients with intractable migraines or migraines where they've tried a lot of different medications and, um, haven't really had relief. They'll bounce through a lot of these, and then there might be one that they settle on that happens to work the best. From a trial perspective, there was a meta-analysis um, of about 53 trials that was looking at what might, uh, which of these might have the highest likelihood for consistent success. Um, so risotriptan 10 milligrams uh, was one. Just be aware that propranolol can increase risotriptan levels by 70%. Um, elitriptan 80 milligrams and almatriptan 12.5 milligrams in this meta-analysis um, all had consistent success. Uh, there was another meta-analysis from 2014 um, comparing triptans and it found that elitriptan was the most likely to produce pain relief um, that was sustained. Uh, Naritriptan and frovitriptan both have a slower onset and generally a lower efficacy, um, but they also may have a pretty low risk for adverse effects. Um, all triptans should be limited to no more than 10 days of use per month, ideally to avoid medication overuse headaches. And this is a very important point too, because a lot of times when clinicians have a patient coming in um, who's being seen for migraines or headaches in general, so let's say it's a specialist. If it's a specialist, they've probably had a referral from a PCP, so a lot of this might have been sussed out, but not always. Um, you know, if, if they're coming to see a provider for migraines, they've probably run the gamut on over-the-counter medications, um, and it's probably significant enough to where they're taking a lot of over-the-counter medications. So a lot of times what they have to do is... Um, almost have a washout period of over-the-counter medications to determine what their actual headache or migraine burden is. Um, so a lot of times they will have a lot of medication overuse headaches, and so they might say, you can't take any over-the-counter medications for two weeks or three weeks, um, and then we're going to reassess kind of what your migraine burden is, and then we can get a better idea of how we can direct your treatment. But the same goes for the prescription medicines. If they end up taking them too much, they can have medication overuse headaches from them as well, um, and trip dance for sure. We've uh, seen some patients recently at our clinic that uh, were definitely using Simitriptan like every single day. Oh, yeah. And they'll, you know, they'll do it. If they have a migraine, they'll, yeah. they'll do it. Um, yeah. It's a lot. Um, and then real quick, too, because um, Cole mentioned the propranolol uh, interaction with rizotriptan. The reason why that you know study mentioned that specifically was because, uh, as we'll get to in a minute, but uh, propranolol is an option for um, migraine prevention. And so if you have a patient who's using propranolol daily to prevent a migraine and then also has rizotriptan um, as a you know acute treatment in case they actually do have one, you have to be aware that the dosing is going to change because, like Cole said, it can raise those levels up quite a bit. So just that's why that point was in there. And um, if someone's taking one triptan and it's not effective, they can try another one, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And um, for the most part, before we get to these other um, brand name abortive agents, they're going to have to to have those covered. 
but also if one doesn't work, another one might for reasons unpronounced <laughs> to most. Well, yeah. And it's kind of like a lot of the, uh, like this behavioral health meds, yeah. you know, with it's SSRIs. You might not do well with one, but you'll do well with the other. Just chemistry slightly different. It's the same idea. Yep. Um, but, uh, Cole, you mentioned the medication overuse, um, already and kind of went through that. But again, just to reiterate 10 or more days per month with, um, ergot derivatives, triptans, um, even opioids. We're not going to really talk about opioids today, but patients will in some cases beyond those four migraines are combination analgesics. You know, if you're using it 15 days or, or excuse me, 10 or more days per month, um, that's going to, you know, lead to overuse, um, 15 or more days with non-opioid analgesics like acetaminophen or NSAIDs is considered to be, um, overuse. So just watch uh, your patient's uh, medication intake. Yeah, for sure. So um, that was triptans. We do have a couple of options um, that are ergot derivatives. And uh, really, they're both the same thing. It's dihydroergotamine that comes in a couple different um, formulations, one of which is new. So the old one is called migranol, which you may have heard of before. Um, it's generally reserved for patients who don't respond to triptans. It stimulates vasoconstriction, also has some effects on serotonin. Um, doesn't come as a tablet. It only comes, um, well, it, it, the migranol comes as an IM or sub-Q injection um, and also a um, nasal spray. So with the IM and sub-Q injection, you would take one milligram at the first uh, symptom and you can repeat it hourly with a max of three milligrams uh, per day. So repeat it hourly up to three different doses. The nasal spray is uh, one spray of 0.5 milligrams in each nostril, and you can repeat that in 15 minutes if you need it. Um, it has some concerns um, when you're just thinking about ergot derivatives and kind of their mechanism. So one is peripheral ischemia, which can be deadly, so it has a box warning for that. Um, also, for CYP3A4 inhibitors, which includes macrolide antibiotics, um, it can cause uh, cerebral ischemia, so related to that vasoconstriction. Um, there's a rare risk of an acute MI and uh, a cardiac uh, rhythm disturbance, so be aware of that. Um, the nasal spray can cause rhinitis, irritation, also dyskaisia. Um, uh, with patients with uh, CAD risk factors, you may want to get an EKG immediately following the first dose. Um, personally, if I was going to have to do that, I just wouldn't use this. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's pregnancy category X, so no good in pregnancy. And uh, also, to Cole, tell me if you've ever heard this. We were actually talking about this at the yeah. today because this is what we use our time for. Um, have you ever heard that like theory or that, um, I guess, hypothesis, whatever you want to call it, that uh, the Salem witch trials where people thought that there was all this crazy stuff going on yeah. was due to um, ergot like poisoning basically um, because the barley the the wheat or whatever it was went bad and got that original ergot fungus growing on oh, it really? so people were like <laughs> tripping and basically insane yeah. they're like it's gotta be that old lady she's the witch and uh, yeah that's like a proposed theory interesting uh, so I ended up look I went way too deep into this at lunch today and uh, <laughs> is that what you're doing. <laughs> Listen, I was deep in research, um, but apparently, like ergot, like if you when you look at like the ergotamines, like the chemistry of it, mm -hmm. you're um, causing agonist activity at 5-HT2A, um, as well as some other like um, specific dopamine receptors and mm -hmm. things. So it it doesn't have the hallucinogenic properties as like the original fungal ergot. Interesting. And so that one does touch on all those. So it's like more like a actual like psychedelic or something like that. Wow. So. That's gonna. That would be. I've really heard it like the mass hysteria theory, but I feel like the mass hysteria is just like a throwaway when they can't explain things like yeah. crazy things that happened in the past. Well, they didn't have but Google to, back then either. They, so it was tough. they didn't. No, Google was not a thing during the Salem witch trials. Yeah. <laughs> if only though, they might have realized yeah. it's not real. <laughs> and maybe we're insane. Or <laughs> they might have realized ways to get make better drugs, and then they wouldn't have had to trip on ergot. Right, and they would have had no migraines. Well, maybe. well. Maybe. Maybe. All right. So on that note, um, the newer and improved, if you will, um, nasal um, ergotamine or dihydroergotamine um, nasal spray was approved on September 3rd, 2021. Um, and this is using this proprietary technology called Precision Olfactory Delivery, P-O-D with the trademark. Registered trademark. Yep. So this is uh, supposed to deliver the medication um, to a more um, 
the upper nasal cavity. Thank you. Rather than the lower nasal cavity, as mm. we learned today. And I'm guessing the old migranol is the lower nasal cavity, which is how they're marketing this one. Eh? Yep. 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 I was like, Anna so will you watch this uh, <laughs> quick video on ergotamine derivatives um, real quick and then tell me all about it? She's like, yeah, sure. And she starts listening to it and I hear the guy's voice and I was like, oh. No, so boring. And then I looked at her face and I was like, all right, you can turn that off. Five minutes in, she looks like she's like ready to quit. Um, Hey, I took notes. No, you did. It was great. I don't know how you did it. I would have zoomed out immediately, which is why I had to ask you. Um, But that one has uh, the 0.725 milligram um, dosing. So you do one spray into each nostril and then you can repeat if needed um, at least one hour later. So, But the max you can have is four sprays per day. Um, Same box warning like Cole talked about with the peripheral ischemia, um, which can be deadly in some rare cases. Um, And then also the interaction with CYP3A4 inhibitors, um, as well as the risk of acute MI or cardiac um, abnormalities for as far as rhythm goes. So getting EKG if a patient has uh, any sort of CAD risk factors is going to be an important thing. Again, I'm probably putting these behind these next op, like behind triptans for sure, but then behind what we're about to talk about as well. Do you see this drug in your clinic? I have seen it. It is not nearly as common as the ones we're about to talk about. Yeah. Like not even close. Yeah. So cool. We've, I mean, the, this new one because you know it's it's buzzing and there's reps around. There's been a couple of them, but the migranol. I mean, the only patients I see it in is the ones who have tried like all the other stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean. So lazmiditan or Ravel. Um, this is something that uh, is a 5-HT or serotonin, so serotonin receptor 5-HT 1F receptor agonist. 1F. Yeah. Who that's knew? A big, that's a new thing. So many serotonin receptors. It's kind of ridiculous. But this one is because it's, it is targeting separate serotonin receptors compared to the triptans, you're not going to have that potential for an increased risk of coronary or cerebrovascular vasoconstrictive adverse effects. Um, and then this is something that um, if the patient, you know, is um, having a migraine that, you know, the pain's persisting for two hours after treatment with either a G-pan, which we haven't talked about yet, or a triptan, then you could consider kind of adding this on. The caveat is that patients um, are going to have some potential severe uh, sedating effects when they take this. So you really have to make sure the patient has about eight hours of, you know, where they don't have to drive or operate machinery or anything like that um, when they take this medication. So they need a full eight hours um, before they can do that because they can really affect their performance in operating vehicles. Um, there was a study called the, the best samurai, <laughs> the, the best uh, trial names on record, but they had the study Samurai and Spartan. Yeah, what's up? Um, they basically showed that the uh, lesmeditan efficacy um, in patients concurrently taking migraine prevention medications is stronger than uh, placebo, and uh, the common adverse effects that these showed up in the showed up in the trial were dizziness, um, somnolence, something things like that. Nothing, nothing too crazy. So, like Cole said, it's another option that's out there, um, but it's usually something that would be like another add-on therapy um, for an acute situation that. If they've if triptans aren't enough to take care of it yeah i want to reemphasize the can't drive for eight hours thing because it is an important counseling point especially because the other uh, acute medications do not carry that so if a patient is just seeing this as another triptan or another g-pant that we're about to talk about they probably won't think of that as being concerning but it can really make you drowsy so make sure to to let them know uh, that's in a very very important counseling point and it really does make you drowsy it's a controlled substance in um in most places i yeah. believe maybe around the country yeah it's c5 c5 yeah um um is it c5 or is it c3 i think it's c5 okay um yeah, so uh, this one's different in that respect to the rest of them. So just be aware of that. Yeah. So today, especially if you have a patient who's obviously substance use disorder or anything like that. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's well, I don't know exactly what kind of effect they get, but I generally think of it as drowsiness as opposed to like you know uh, dependency type of high. But I guess it has that risk. That's why they gave it the control. Listen, Cole, label. don't try to sugarcoat it. Okay. <laughs> It's the well, most addictive substance there is. <laughs> um, I will say that um, – so it gets lumped in with triptans a lot. So like from just the way the providers think about it, they probably will think of this kind of like a triptan because it acts on the serotonin receptors, which is fine. So I see it probably more commonly now in patients who um, – who they, you know, triptans haven't worked and maybe they're on an injectable CGRP 
and their insurance won't cover a um, GPANT CGRP, and so they'll use this uh, instead, just, just so you're aware. So if that's confusing, we'll, we'll clarify in a little bit. Um, so the GPANTs are the one we've been referencing for a while um, as far as the acute medications. So there's two of those. There's Nurtec, which is, which you know, I'm usually okay with generics. I hate saying the generics of all these CGRP medicines. Just Remedjapant. Remedjapant. Nailed it. In Abrojapant. Erbrojapant. I'm gonna say Erbrojapant. That's a funny way to say Ubro? it. Erbro. Okay. And I always said Gpant, but I guess the fact G- that we say Gpant, it must be Remedjapant, right? I listened to a thing on these medications that Medscape had put out a little bit, and I literally said they said Gpant a hundred thousand okay. times. So I just have been saying it. Love it. Those I- are not all neurologists, so I just copied their lingo. Personally, prefer Nurtec and Ubrelvi, but. <laughs> I like that I know how to say it now. And I literally work with these all the time and I never say it. Yeah. Um, Come on, Cole. So this is, so CGRPs um, are pretty revolutionary as far as migraine treatment goes. Um, they're a couple years old now, but it was it was a really big deal when they came out. Um, so they're going to bind to the CGRP receptor, which we talked about the patho earlier and how important that is. Um, we have acute treatments, which are these G-pants, and we also have preventative um, treatments, injectables, monoclonal antibodies that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, they are ultimately the first class of medications that are specifically, um, I'm sorry if I'm jumping the gun here, but that are specifically for um, uh, created for migraines, right? So the other triptans even and the other OTC aborted medications um, uh, in Rayval was specifically made for migraines, but it's more recent. Um, this was the first before any of those. And a lot of the preventive treatments we talk about, none of them up until the CGRPs that we'll talk about were specifically made for migraines. So that's important. Um, they're very well tolerated, uh, but Nurtec is a 75 milligram single dose um, for acute treatment. And we'll talk about how it, it has a new indication for prevention. Ubrelvi is 50 or 100 milligrams as a single dose, but it can be repeated in two hours, uh, much like many of the triptans. So if you're prescribing Nurtec for somebody, just emphasize that it's only the one dose within a 24-hour period because that's unusual um, in general for patients versus the other triptans that they take. So big question then is who and, and you know what what patient are we going to give these GPANs to instead of a triptan? For Everybody, <laughs> everyone who wants to have not have migraine pain. What's it good? Um, it's okay. In you know if a patient has some sort of a contraindication to triptan, obviously is a no brainer. Um, if they have cardiovascular disease or things like that, um, uncontrolled hypertension, um, the the GPANs don't seem to have the same risk associated with it. So that might be one option that we can go with. If they've had suboptimal efficacy with triptans, then these tend to be a little bit more efficacious a lot of times. Um, tolerability is an issue with triptans. These are going to have less side effects and are usually fairly well tolerated. Um, however, if you have children um, who are younger than 18 years old um, or patients who are pregnant or breastfeeding, um, we probably are going to avoid these medications in that population. And the textbook answer is absolutely avoid those because we just have limited data. We don't in that patient population. We don't really know how Definitely they affect. Yeah. yeah, and so we it's something that we have to just kind of. Um, Hopefully, we'll keep an eye out for, and as new data comes out, then the, the label may change. But as of now, it's going to be adult patients um, who are not currently pregnant. Um, and you can give a triptan after a GPAN um, if the patient is still experiencing pain. But we, they want you to start with the GPAN first because that's t- considered to be more effic- effective. Right. If it doesn't work, and usually, like, I, I don't know what the studies say, but usually they'll say after two hours if it doesn't work because Nurtec and Abrelvi usually, I think in the studies, which we'll talk about, they usually looked at the two-hour effectiveness. If it hasn't worked in two hours, then you can take one of the triptans. And technically, you can take a, a Rayval too if, if instead of a triptan in that same instance because it kind of has that serotonin mechanism of action. I like how you said, I don't know what the studies say, and then one second later, you're like, we're going to talk about the studies. I remembered that I remembered that it's in here, and we'll talk about that it. Where is that information located that you were just going to immediately learn? And then I specifically remembered that it talks about two hours. So oh, okay, right yes, on. As that's that's called remembering as you're speaking it out loud on a podcast. That needs a better name. That's uh, well, the best I got so far. <laughs> All right. Well, that's called coming up with a name while you're speaking it out loud on a podcast. Like, people are like, we're going to go back to monographs <laughs> for our <laughs> continuing education. Um. Yeah. Migraine prophylaxis. Yeah. So that's that's acute treatment. I think we really hit like all the big stuff. Just about. Some Just of the, about. We left some come the old, old stuff off, but that's all right. Yeah, yeah. But we, we, hit all, we hit all the important stuff. And the last thing I'll say about the G-Pants is um, they really, you know, they really could be first line before the triptans from a safety perspective. It's really the cost is the reason they're not. 
Yep. Just got to get that out there. Unfortunately. Okay. Prophylaxis. So um, we consider prophylaxis or migraine preventative treatment um, for various reasons. One, migraines definitely uh, affect a patient's quality of life, um, significantly affect their ability to work or function because they happen at any time. Um, and can be pretty debilitating. Um, migraine uh, prevention can decrease uh, patients' migraines significantly. Um, we like to see a 50% decrease um, depending on how significant it is, but it can you know, completely um, uh, reduce their migraines, or it may not, uh, which is why we have to go through different options. A trial of each agent for prevention should definitely be given long enough to um, have seen results before they stop it unless they have side effects that warrant stopping. Um, so we want to give it a good eight-week try before switching medications um, if we can, for sure. So some migraine prophylactic options. Before we get to the stuff that actually works really well, we'll talk about the old-school meds. That talk about the stuff that they have to use you first. You have right to now. try first yeah. in order to get these covered by insurance. But doesn't mean they don't work. It's just side effect profiles are not always ideal for some of these, right? Yeah, and they don't work. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, they do for some people for sure. So beta blockers. Um, the best evidence is with propranolol, timolol, and metoprolol. Um, and obviously the issue with these is you have to still kind of titrate the dose up slowly so that you don't cause increased risk of um, side effects, but patients will still potentially experience fatigue, um, decreased heart rate, hypotension, dizziness. And then when they come off of these medications, they do need to kind of taper off as well. Um, and then there's also uh, some of our anticonvulsants that can be utilized for migraine prophylaxis. So we have best evidence with medications like topiramate and Divalprox. Um, Divalprox is one that has a lot of adverse effects associated with it, including um, in rare cases like liver toxicity, pancreatitis. But the, really the big ones that people complain about are the sedation, the weight gain. Um, there's also some occurrences of um, potential thrombocytopenia um, coming from the Divalprox. Um, so it's just the weight gain and the, the sedation, I feel like are the two biggest issues with that particular med. And then topiramate is probably even worse as far as side effects go. Um, one, I guess, depending on the patient, uh, positive potential adverse effect is weight loss instead of weight gain. So if the patient does need to lose weight, that may help. The really big issue this can happen to, I've seen some statistics say as much as 50% of patients that take it, is the cognitive impairment. Um, patients will describe like that they feel like they're in a cloud or something. They just cannot get their thoughts together, um, and they just feel like they're kind of just hazy when they take this medication. Um, and it's something that I've seen myself in quite a few patients, and uh, you know, it always gives me a little bit of pause when I see topiramate being added on. Um, but it also can increase the risk of um, renal stones. Um, but again, the weight loss aspect may be a benefit for some patients. Um, and it also does decrease the efficacy of oral contraceptives. So make sure you counsel on that before somebody's got you for 18 years. Uh, yeah. And I will definitely say the, um, the, the cognitive impairment with the Topamax is the real deal. Like yeah. that is a significant side effect and very common. Um, that's why it's called Dopamax. Um, also another thing I think of with the Divol Proax, the Depakote, um, is it has a significant teratogenic concern, so it really should be avoided in women of um, childbearing potential, um, which you are our most common culprits for migraines. Women of childbearing potential, or at least in that Cul age group, yeah, the um, you know most common, most likely to happen. Um, so if you're going to use it, which sometimes it does need to be used, um, just make sure that they have a backup form of contraception, but ideally um, is is avoided in favor of other options that don't carry that risk. Um, so other options we have, we have Elevil, right? Um, so when we think of Elevil, we don't really think of it as a great option for depression. We don't really think of it as a great option for sleep, but I generally think of it as a pretty good option for migraines. Um, it's usually a lower dose than are used for depression or sleep, something like 25 to 50 milligrams, and usually taken at bedtime. Um, I do like it in a, in a patient who we're trying to use it for migraines, but they also have some other indication, you know, because I don't like it alone for sleep, but maybe if they're having migraines and trouble sleeping, okay, I feel good about it because I can kill two birds. Um, maybe they have migraines and mild depression. I feel good about it because maybe we're going to help with that a little bit, but I wouldn't use it alone for depression. Peripheral neuropathy. Peripheral neuropathy. There you go, for sure. Um um, other antidepressants too, there's really a, a multitude of things that, um, that can be used like Effexor, pretty much any SSRI or SNRI in those instances, we're killing two birds again, depression with migraines. Um, I kind of think of it the same way with anticonvulsants too, like they have epilepsy um, that might be um, uh, you know, 
a type of epilepsy that can be affected by Topamax or Depakote, and we're also doing migraines, um, but they can definitely be used in patients who do not have seizures. Um, another one that's um, commonly used, but I wouldn't really consider a first-line option, is Zonogram. Um, and the beta blockers as well, you know, I like to kind of think of it as killing two birds, but they can definitely be used on their own. Um, there's also um, hypertension medications that can be used too. So non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers are the ones I think of, um, specifically for Rapamil is not an unreasonable first, not, not like the first thing you would use, but one of these kind of first four or five things that you'd consider. And then there's a multitude of like lower line options that can be used in, when you're considering like multiple comorbidities. Um, so just some that come to mind would be like gabapentin or Lyrica, um, all of those um, depressive medications, um, different anticonvulsants, um, magnesium and um, riboflavin, uh, random things like that. But there, there's, there's a multitude of other things that you could kind of try depending on what's going on with the patient. We also have a very um, interesting kind of Western medicine type deal um, that happens to be very um, effective for migraines, and that's Botox. Uh, so, you know, people were, were getting their wrinkles fixed, and th they said, hey, doc, my face looks great, and uh, my migraines are gone. So it turns out, you know, this Botox is helping my migraines. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Cure all. Killing two birds, right? I love sure, it when yeah. we can do that. Yep. Um, That's why I take essential oils. So Botox actually works very well. And um, it's specifically only for patients with a diagnosis of chronic headaches. So there's some specific things that they are gonna, they're going to have to have to have it covered by insurance. Um, so more than 15 days is what we think of with the chronic migraines. Um, uh, some insurances will require a patient to have tried and failed Botox before they have a CGRP, which I think is unfortunate, but that just goes to show how it's, it's definitely recognized as, um, a, an option and an effective option, uh, in migraines, which truthfully I think is hilarious. And they just get a, a bunch of injections around their face and head area, uh, every three months or so. You know, yeah. and, and it works. I will say I have a family member that ended up that being that as like a last resort and that like took care of the migraines completely. Yeah. And yeah. I wouldn't even say that like it's even a last resort. Like it is yeah. it is in there is like you failed a few meds. Botox. Botox. Yeah. I might do some right now. <laughs> yeah. Give, Maybe. give it to yourself. Yeah. That'll, Don't do that. That'll go Just well. find a black widow. Just, yeah. <laughs> you know. Eyebrows stuck up in the air. Find some botulinum toxin. And, <laughs> yeah. So we won't go through the... Uh, by Black Widow, I mean you find a spider out there that has the, the you know, the Botox in there. Not to, be <laughs> not to be confused with... Not to be confused with anything else that it could have been confused okay. with. Okay. The, Mar the Marvel superhero. Right. Got it. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm not going to go through all the different criteria because Cole kind of already touched on that as far as, you know, you need to make sure you do at least two of those agents that we kind of rattled off. Um, if those are not working um, after about an eight week time frame to kind of give them an adequate trial, then we can consider our um, CGRP monoclonal antibody and our injectable options. And we have a few different ones um, on the market. We have a IV formulation. Um, uh, Ep I'm going to butcher all these names. Watch this. Eptizumab um, is the IV formulation that you get every three months. Um, Amavig is uh, a sub-Q injection that's every month. And um, Ajovi is also a monthly injection. Or you can do a every three-month injection option with that one. Um, and then the Emgality is uh, there's a 240 milligram loading dose. And then it's 120 milligrams monthly after that. It's also sub-Q. So you know, obviously the injectables or an IV formulation may not be ideal for some patients, but the relief that you get tends to be um, pretty significant with these. Yeah. And, you know, there's some definite positives um, or some things that you can do to get the convince the patients. So it's just a sub Q injection, similar to some of the um, um, the pin devices that we have in diabetes and that sort of thing, as far as the Amovig, Ajovi, and Emgality go, um, which I would definitely consider those to be options that you'd want to try before doing the Viepti IV infusion um, to have a patient have to come in, even though it's convenient to have it every three months, for them to have to come in and have it infused um, would definitely be inconvenient. If I wanted something, if the patient was like, I want something that's every three months, AJOV, which is 225 milligrams once a month, you can do three pins back to back once every three months. So I would personally prefer that over having to come in and get something infused. Um, um, as far as the pin devices go, um, Imgality is kind of nice. It's made by Lilly, and so it has the same exact pin device as the Trulicity. 
Um, so it, it looks the same and people are always talking about how great that pen device is. So mm-hmm. that's kind of nice, but the other ones are fine as well. Um, some, um, Mike mentioned the loading dose with Imgality, which is important. So you do the two pins back to back before you do the once a month, um, 120 milligram pin. Um, another interesting thing with Amovig that the other ones don't have is the option to increase the dose. So you have the 70 milligram pin, and then if the patient isn't getting ad- an adequate response, you can increase to the 140 milligram pin. Um, whereas the other ones, it's really just the one dose that you can have. Um, and then if they're not having an adequate response over the course of a few months, you can't really increase it. You would probably just consider switching to one of the others to see if it's more effective for them. And so, like Cole said, if you are using monthly injections, then you want to give it at least a three-month trial. If it's one of the quarterly medication dosing strategies, then you can do at least a six-month trial to make sure that it's a true, you know, treatment failure. Um, as far as like what success looks like, um, reduction in mean monthly headache days is obviously a big one. Um, reduction in uh, either their Midas or their uh, HIT score, which are basically like self-reported um, symptom questionnaires that you can kind of fill out to give more of a quantifiable, um, you know, uh, answers to, you know, potentially subjective, um, questions or answers, um, improvements, uh, in basically just the patient's overall reporting of their quality of life also is going to be really important because even if it doesn't meet our statistical criteria or something, if the patient's doing way better, having a much more, um, fulfilled life, if you will, or better quality of life, then that's a win either way. So, um, adverse effects, uh, they are pretty mild for the most part, very well tolerated. Um, usually administer, uh, administration site, um, conditions or reactions are what we tend to think about when we think of like the adverse effects, just because of you know, obviously being an injectable or infusion. Um, the, uh, arenamab, um, it does, or has been associated with severe constipation, um, usually after that first dose. And it's something that, um, I mean, is actually like, like hospitalized and like required surgery in some patients. So we're not just talking about like a little bit of constipation. We're talking about like a, like a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, so like, let's say for example, an insurance says, um, Amovig is our preferred option. We want you to have Amovig over Ajovirumgality, but a patient has a history of significant constipation. You can use that to justify using Amovig, um, or are you using Imgality or Ajov if you needed to? That's a good tip. We yeah. need to do a prior authorization conquering episode it's like what i do yeah me th- i mean i do a lot of it too find reasons to you know get this covered over it turns that, into you know. a game it's ridiculous it it's kind of a fun game I, I know it's such a nerd thing you mentioned the midas and the hit scores so the midas uh, uh score it stands for migraine disability assessment the hit score is stands for headache impact test um and basically those are just um a series of questions that you can ask a patient to determine their migraine burden. So it asks questions about their um, how their migraines affect their um, daily life and the activities of daily living, basically. Um, some questions about how severe they perceive their migraines to be. Some insurances, like certain Medicaid plans in South Carolina, will require one of those to have the prior authorization reapproved every few months. Um, but it's also a tool that you could use if, you know, it's hard to determine how significant it's affecting a patient um you know you'll sometimes you'll ask patients you know how significant how bad are your migraines or how often are they happening and they'll say oh it's happening every day okay well what's the pain on a scale of you know one out of ten and they'll say 10 out of 10 every time 11 right so if you're trying to get you know maybe a gauge and they can give they can surely give those sorts of answers to this and kind of skew how you perceive it as well um but you know, sometimes that can be helpful. And going back to kind of the differences between those um, CGRPs, I did want to mention the half-lives because I think that's important. Um, so with Amovig, the half-life is 28 days, HOV is 30 days, and Egality is actually 27 days. So in the um, in the like insert, usually these say just inject once per month. Um, and so obviously there is a little wiggle room there as far as 28 days could be considered a month because that's four weeks. 30 days could be considered a calendar month. Usually we see, you know, inject once every 30 days. Um, but I've definitely had patients, specifically I think of Imgality for this, who it, who it's inject once every 30 days. And then in the last three to four days, mm-hmm. they have a series of migraines like every month. Um, so if you move that back to every 28 days, I think that'd be reasonable from an insurance perspective, and it might give them a little bit of extra relief because the you know they might not be at steady state for those last few days um, of the month. Um, that neurology talk I was listening to, um, they mentioned the same thing. They said Imgality is the most likely one to cause yeah. that wearing off Definitely effect. Definitely seen it. Definitely seen it. Um, also, too, with uh, arenamab specifically, um, new onset hypertension or worsening of pre-existing hypertension is also something to kind of consider and watch out for. 
Um, okay, so we talked about our monoclonal antibody options, but we also have some GPANT options. So our um, oral uh, CGRP receptor antagonist formulations for prophylaxis as well. So um, Nurtec is this one that Cole had already mentioned um, that you can do for an, an acute migraine, but now it's approved, I believe, last month or September. Yes. Um, it was fairly recently. Um, it got approved. It's That's probably longer than that now that I, I think it was that. September. I think it was what? super recent. Okay. Yeah. So it's approved for every other day dosing at 75 milligrams to be to work as a prophylactic option. Um, and then there's also one that was approved. This one was definitely approved in September. September 28th um, is, uh, I think it's pronounced uh, Quilpa is the uh, brand name. It's probably wrong. Um, Quilipta, I think it's how to say it. <laughs> Ato Japant is the uh, generic, and it's uh, an oral formulation as well that comes as a 10, 30, and 60 milligram dosing that's uh, dosed daily. And, you know, you may be wondering, like, well, if it's a daily dose, why, or every other day dose, why would this be a good option then compared to the parenteral formulations? Um, one uh, topic that I've seen, or one, I guess, patient population that I've seen that's come up is patients who are thinking about becoming pregnant. You know, if they're on something that, you know, we think of a half-life as kind of, you know, sort of like, oh, after a month, it's going to be gone. But that's it takes roughly four to five half-lives to truly clear it completely out of the system. Since we don't want to use these in pregnancy, um, it'd be something that you do an oral formulation. You better have a much easier time clearing this out of your system compared to the long-acting parental formulations. Yeah, I think that's a huge deal. I mean, we again, we think of migraines as frequently occurring in women of childbearing potential and many who are trying to get pregnant. Um, and trying to get pregnant is not necessarily a contraindication to use using one of the injectable CGRPs. Um, but as soon as you find out you're pregnant, you do not want to inject it again. But say that you injected three days ago, find out you're pregnant today, knowing that it's going to be in your system for three more weeks when we don't really know the effects of a CGRP on um, a developing baby um, can definitely be concerning to somebody. So being able to say, oh, just don't take your medicine for today and it'll be out of your system in a day or two, definitely a good thing. But Quilipt is a big deal because it's the first once daily um uh, oral CGRP that we have that you know is kind of like a, a regular drug that you take every day. Um, Nurtec, very very interesting that it got this FDA approval just a couple of months before Quilipta was approved. Um, I think it seems was, sus. It was very sneaky. <laughs> it was very sneaky because they're like, oh, we got this new drug, you know, coming out. Let's see if we can't snag ourselves an approval for for this. Um, but it's good and it's uh, it can be a little bit confusing for for insurances, for clinicians, even for patients sometimes. So you can take the Nurtec every other day, but it can also obviously be used as an abortive medication. Um, so if it's a day where they didn't take their Nurtec, so it's every other day, so it's one of those days in between, and they have a breakthrough migraine, they can still take the Nurtec, and then they would just continue the every other day dosing two days from that, right? Um, so for as far as insurance purposes, usually it's 16 tablets, and then it's billed for about 30 days because they can take it um, on an as-needed basis in those in-between days. Um but can also be a little bit confusing for patients who have been on the as-needed um, uh, dosing, and then they switch to that, and it can be a little bit confusing from a, from an insurance perspective, um, but still definitely a good option for patients. Something else we didn't talk about is the use of two CGRPs together. Um, so there's not a whole lot of data um, behind that. I can say just clinically I see it done a lot, and there are not um, – um, side effects or issues that people have just from an oral CGRP um, acute perspective plus the um, the um, injectable CGRP monthly. So not necessarily going to recommend that from a we have data to back that up perspective, but can definitely say that, that we've seen it. Another similar um, issue is um, so an injectable CGRP plus Botox for prevention. Um, so there is uh, some some data now um, to say that the, that combination can be good and can reduce headache days. I think in this specific trial, it was for, for about um, a decrease of an additional four days per month, which can definitely be significant for patients. Um, I have a lot of issues getting injectable CGRPs approved when a patient's also taking Botox. There are some plans that are like, no, absolutely not. Um, so it's kind of nice that we have some, some data yeah. to back that up to get that uh, approved. Is that the pivot trial? Is that right? Sounds right. Some pivot or pivot also. I probably should have checked before I asked. Um, it, so yeah, that's good. I'm glad you brought that up because I was I had, thought I had that trial pulled up and I couldn't find it. So I'm glad you did. Good job, Cole. Always got my back. Well, you you did send it to me, which is why I was thinking about it today. Did I? So okay. We'll give well, you kudos for that. Well, what a team. Yeah. You see that integrated teamwork. <laughs> um, do anything else? We cover. Uh, we make it. We're way over time. 
I think we hit it, and that's that's the deal. The the big ones are the Quilipta is new, the Nurtec Prevention, and then the Trudessa. Those are the the big the new big ones the out ones. in 2021. There you go. You are now up to date. <laughs> Ish. So yeah, thank you guys for listening. I hope that was useful. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen to these uh, accredited episodes. Um, and thanks to Free CE for partnering with us and making this happen. This has really been a lot of fun for us. Um, remember, if you are a member of Free CE, make sure that you um, go and, and look at the. Um, episode uh test questions as well as the evaluation the password is relief r-e-l-i-e-f all caps and um get, claim your your continuing ed credit and if you're not a member of free seat what are you doing just correct your path what are you doing yeah come on listen to cole go check out their platform it's really good i i do use it myself actually even long before we ever uh, partnered with them so yeah it's, it's a true talk so thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you have any questions for Cole or myself, um, our emails will be in the show notes. Um, you can also reach us on any of the social media platforms if you want. Um, if you want to check out our Patreon um, account, that's basically like more um, lecture, like traditional lecture style um, episodes where they you know, have PowerPoint slides you can download and kind of follow along. It's basically just uh, the, the pharmacotherapy lectures I do for my PA students um, kind of repurposed for you guys. And then uh, if you want to have any questions that you want to text us directly, um, you can text 415-943-6116. And um, regardless of which method you use to contact us, I promise we will do our absolute best to contact you back. But sometimes just one of those things we get behind. So anything else, Cole? Nope. And Grace, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I feel yes. like this is a check off my bucket list being on a podcast. Nice. Man, yeah. all your dreams. We're on, we're on bucket lists now. You hear that, guys? Your, your bucket list can come true. Too. Just <laughs> call us up. Have a good night. <laughs>